Hello and welcome to this episode of uh, With Miska podcast. And this episode is going to be totally 100% in English. My guest is an American, Stephen Lee, and we're going to be speaking English the whole time. Uh, but he actually lives in Finland. He's been in Finland for many, many years. We talk about that quite a lot too. I met with Stephen. I met Stephen for the first time when we both were acting in a UFO film. Well, it, it was just a trailer. It was a trailer for this Finnish film, which never happened, but we acted in the trailer and spent two nights in a Finnish forest full of snow. Well, it wasn't full of snow, but there was some snow definitely there. So uh, that's how we met. And Stephen has been also doing quite a lot of music, and uh, we talk about that. And I, I didn't know that he has had so many careers And he was also involved uh, pretty intensely in the tech boom of the around year 2000 in Finland. And there's also a book uh, by Mato Valtonen about the tech boom. I, I don't know what's the name, but it, it's written by Mato Valtonen. And he's also involved in that whole, the company was, I think it was called Wapit. It was like one of these tech companies. Okay, anyway, so Stephen is going to talk about that. And we talk about America quite a lot and also the... Uh, protests and Black Lives Matter. So this is a really informative podcast to me too. That's pretty much all. Enjoy the podcast with me and Stephen Lee. So Stephen, thank you for being guest in With Miska podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for inviting me. So where are you? I am uh, right now in the middle of uh, the Nunxio forest in a small cabin uh, in the summertime sunshine near the lake of Sikayarvi. Oh, in, nice. Uh, that's, north, that's north of Helsinki, about 30 kilometers. And so you have that kind of like a summer situation there. I have a summer situation going. <laughs> are you there with your family or by yourself? Or how, how are you there? Uh, I'm here. Um, my my kids come and visit me every once in a while. Uh, and you're there for the whole summer. And I'm here for the whole summer. That well, sounds like some know, kind when of... The corona, when the corona started, um, this is where I came to. I decided that I had to... I was working from home anyway. So, so this was a better place to be. That go sounds good. Is it good? Whenever you want, it's wonderful. I love it. I go swim in the lake whenever I want to. You know, it's peaceful. Birds chirping outside my door. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful place. Peaceful. And what's work for you now? I do. I'm a, a communications. Um, person i do uh pr and media relations uh with um i do pr and media i'm gonna take my glasses off because they're reflecting all the time but uh i do pr and media relations with a company called san francisco um but the san francisco company is actually located in helsinki so um i help companies to communicate better and to get into the press and get other people to talk about them Nice. Yeah, because I know you from, um, well, we know each other because we were acting in a 
trailer. It was a trailer for that was supposed to be like a feature film for about UFOs. So, uh, like, you seem to be doing so many things. Yeah, I have a very, um, I have a very schizophrenic life. I I, I think do it might be a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How how much acting? Like we we met with we met with acting, but how much acting have you done? I've done a lot of performing, but not acting so much. So the acting was a new thing for me back then. Um, since then, I've done a little bit of acting in some, you know, minor stuff. Um, but for the most part, my life has been more about making music with, with regards to the fun stuff I do, um, coaching swimming. <laughs> And swimming. Swim, swimming myself. Yeah, I've been a coach for over 30 years and then doing my work in communications. And then I have a background in engineering. So I used to do robotics, engineering and machine design, uh, working for General Motors and Bosch back when I was in the States. Yeah. And I've run a couple companies and. Yeah, done some startup stuff. It's been really schizophrenic life. But that sounds great. Is there any specific thing that is your favorite? Mm, it depends on my mood. I think that I love making music, but I do it really very much for myself. It's very much a hobby, but yet I get sometimes professional gigs. I'm in a band um, called The Funky Sound of the Giraffe with a PH in the funky. And we do uh, New Orleans funk. Uh, so What's that? New, what is New Orleans funk? So uh, the whole funk sound, this syncopated funk sound, um, uh, comes from, you know, you everybody knows like the James Browns and people like that. But then, uh, and then like Parliament and places like that. But we do a version of funk that comes from New Orleans specifically. So New Orleans um, has a really big scene with jazz and blues mixed in with that New Orleans sound. And so they've combined that with these funk beats. And then there are people like, um, you know, really famous, famous uh, funk artists like the Meters, who many people have heard of. And we do a lot of their type of music. So it's a cover band for New Orleans funk. Cool. And, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Because I've been in New Orleans, New Orleans for like a week or two, so I I got to experience the jazz and that kind of stuff. But I didn't know about the funk situation. Yeah, it's it's really it's really a big thing. There's uh, John Cleary and uh, many bands that you probably have heard of. Um, Doctor John, who just recently passed away. Um, we do a lot of stuff from from those from those uh, groups. Papa Grows Funk. Um, uh, just and uh, dumpster funk, which is one of my favorites, and it's uh, it's a really interesting mix of funk and with that New Orleans vibe. And all of the artists that we play in the band are from New Orleans. Yeah, and you have also done these Finnish American songs. Yes, yes. Well, that's sort of like my passion a little bit. Like uh, I'm a I write a bunch of songs that tell about my Finnish life over the years. So maybe over the last, I've been in Finland for 21 years now. 
So in 10 years, I'll have lived in Finland as long as I lived in the US. And, yeah. and it's, um, it's an interesting, like, I think I see Finland differently than the average Finnish person sees it. I think that Finland has so much to offer. And sometimes Finnish folks who are here don't see the beauty that I see in it. Yeah. So, so I spend a lot of time actually when I did that gig that when I, when I did my first stand up that you, thank goodness, gave me opportunity to do. Do, 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 should I tell the story of my first stand up? It'll probably give you a good example. Yes, please. So, so I was talking to you and, and, uh, the, <laughs> the, and I said, you know, me sky, I've always wanted to try and do stand up. And you said, I can set you up with stand up. <laughs> so, so you said, let me get back to you. So you get back with me a couple weeks later and say, tell you what, you can warm up for this, uh, this drag queen karaoke at a gay bar as your first man I, I, street in man street. Exactly. And I said, yeah. and, and I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You want me to do my first gig as the warm up for drag queen improv karaoke with peaches Vadelma as my first stand up in a gay bar. He, you're like, yes. And I said, I'll take it. And so I went there and it was an amazing night and I got to tell my first jokes. And one of the jokes that I told was, was, was this one because people very often, um, the Finnish language is just such an amazing language. I mean, Finns don't realize how amazing their language is because so many words that they have are actually just so smart, like dietokone, right? Knowledge machine. Of course, it's a knowledge machine. Dietokone. But yeah. my my favorite word in Finnish is apolanta, which is fertilizer, but it's makes it's 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 help shit. Apolanta yeah, yeah. is help shit, and I'm like, of course, it's help shit. That's perfect. Help shit is like the perfect word. So that's my favorite word in Finnish is is help shit. Or or Apolanta. So and you you other, have made songs about the yeah Finnish sayings. It's sayings they are called. Right? That's true. That's true. I mean, I actually made a song also in Finnish. I've actually written a song in Finnish that was about that that was about Apolanta. Well, that was talking about Apolanta, which is yeah, which how it, the the double meaning of that is that you know the thing the shit you go through in your life helps you grow, right? So it kind of like yeah. only in Finnish could you get that. Where But, can uh, we find all these songs? Oh man, um, I can give you a link to my. I have a SoundCloud channel. But if um, someone's listening to it right, like right now, if someone's what, listening, what, 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 like, like, I mean, what should they Google? Oh, what should they Google? Oh my gosh. I can I share know. the link on the notes. You share sure. the link in the notes. I don't know if you Google. I don't know if you'll find it. It's just I'm so obscure with that stuff because I just do it for myself. And there's, of course, the songs like you were just talking about, the ones that have to do with um, 
these these songs that I basically took. I took one song. This is a great way to learn Finland. Learn about Finland is that you can learn a country through its sayings, right? You know, we have different sayings that don't make any sense in Finnish or any sense in English, right? I'm sure you've had yeah. a fun time, a fun time saying what, you you, you know, you know, what, uh, you know, t- uh, the lowest hanging fruit. What the hell does that mean, right? But yeah. but but in Finland, I was one time. Th- this all started because my neighbor was shoveling the snow one time, and I was like, oh, thank you for for not shoveling for shoveling the snow. And he says. I, he says, I had my own cow in a ditch. And I was yeah. like, Oma, what? Yeah. Oma lehma oyasa. And I'm like, you had your own cow in a ditch. W- what does that mean? He's like, oh, that means that if I was doing something, I was doing something and, and I was doing it anyway. So, and I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. So I started yeah. collecting all these things like, um, um, uh, uh, you know, yeah. take, take a, take the spoon in your beautiful hand. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? So I collected all these songs and I translated them to English and then I made a song out of them. Yeah. So and that that's one, on YouTube. That, one, that one's on YouTube. Yeah. That one's on YouTube. Cause after I was in the voice, I, um, I got a chance to, to sing, uh, uh, in the Genelec studio. And so what's, they, what's the name of the song? It's called take the spoon in your beautiful hand. Take the spoon in your beautiful hand by Stephen Lee. Yep. It actually says it's Steve at the time. The band was called Steve Lee and the, and the Finnish experience. Nice. That, yeah, I, I saw the video. That was cool. Oh, I didn't know that you were in voice. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the voice in 2016. Michael Monroe was my coach. It really was a, an incredible experience. Um, you know, I didn't get, I went, I went through all the way up to like the live shows. I would, I didn't get into the live show, but like up to that, to that episode. So, so it was, um, it was an incredible experience to see how great production was done. And that's what led to me actually starting in the, in the video with you. So, so, so then someone saw me there and thought that I would match that role. So that's why I got the part in nice in the ufo movie you said that music is your passion if if you needed to say like one specific thing is there like is is music the thing that is most closest to you actually actually music is an outlet for me it happens when it happens you know a lot of people maybe write music as a profession and I really respect those people because I don't think that I could do it as a profession. I think that I think that it's much more of an outlet and I love to sing and it makes me feel good. But but I think I'm also very passionate about the work that I do. And um and I think that helping companies to communicate and helping people to f- do things that they've never been able to do before and being you know, I do a lot of public speaking and other stuff too. So, so I think when I can inspire and, and, and coach people to do things that they didn't think they were possible, capable of doing, I think that's where my passion really lies. And yeah, I'm just lucky enough to be able to do that in something that pays me, (laughs) pays me a salary. 
So nice, yeah, it, and it pays probably better than the in the music stuff that can be pretty flaky. It's with the money. it's hard to to think of it to think of music that way. I like I said, I really admire people who do music that way because they are really letting a part of their soul out to, and they have to then. I think that there are certain compromises that have to be made when you're not a popular musician already. And yeah. I, and I think that it's, I think it would, I think it would be really hard to do. I, I definitely thought about it. my sister is a professional musician. So she has a PhD or a, a doctorate of music, MD doctor of music in um, violin. And she is, um, you know, teaching music and music school and stuff like this. And in orchestras, um, she happens to live in Uganda right now, but yeah, my How's parents, that? my parents are upset because my parents live in Ohio and then my one sister lives in LA and my other sister lives in Uganda and I live in Finland and they're kind of like, doesn't anyone want to be close to home? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that actually leads me to where, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up um, in Ohio, but I left Ohio when I was like, well, I went to school and in Michigan and then I um, ended oh, up for working what? for engineering and machine design. So I'm a mechanical engineer um, by my, in my degree in, in engineering. And I've yeah. done electrical and mechanical engineering and industrial engineering and robotics and factory design and quality control, that sort of stuff. So completely different from communications, which I do now. And uh, yeah, so so I, I, I then I was living for some time in Indiana uh, after I left school and then um and then I moved to Colorado and I lived in Colorado for around six or six years. And then I moved to Finland. Yeah. Why, why Finland and what happened? When I was living in Indiana, I was swimming in a swimming pool and coaching and swimming a master's team in uh, the YMCA in South Bend, Indiana. And some woman was swimming in a lane with me and she she smacked me in the head with her fist as her arm was coming over she smacked me in the head and 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 she was finnish and then i ended up in finland <laughs> no then we got, like a <laughs> then we got then then i interviewed her for the job of 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 being my spouse <laughs> nice and she was there and then you and then she her. answered all the questions right and i was like damn and then and then i ended up in 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 finland and she was a swimmer and I, well she was training for a triathlon so she was a uh, she was actually doing for fun like these long distance ironman triathlon triathlons so and 1999 you moved to Finland. In 1999, I moved to Finland. Yeah. Yeah. How was that like coming from America too? How was that? Well, it was interesting because, you know, I, I, um, you know, I was an exchange student in Brazil, for example, and I was absolutely sure that the rest of my life I would be living in Brazil. You know, I was looking for jobs. I was going to live in Brazil. And then this Finnish woman shows up in my life and, and, um, 
And so, so then, uh, so we, we moved to Finland to go to school, but I didn't move to like Helsinki or something like that. Oh no, not me. We moved to Mikkeli, which is in the middle of the Finland. Yes. And, and, and so we, um, so we moved to Mikkeli to go to school. I was getting my MBA at the Helsinki School of Economics program there. That was a special program for digital technology management. And it was a year and a half program. I spent a year and a half in Mikkeli when I first arrived. And my attitude was that I was going to do absolutely everything that Finnish people did. So, so I decided that, you know, when I came here, it's like minus 30 and, and, you know, snow, I'm, I'm arriving in January, so it's dark. Luckily there was snow. And I remember my friend talked me into going to the swimming in the hole in the ice, Avanto. And so I was like, okay, yeah, definitely. She's like, it's so healthy. You got to go do it. So it's like about minus 24. I didn't know at the time, but we're going over to the, to the hole in the ice and like got this towel with me and everything. And we go to this swimming place that is this ice swimming place that has like the little bubbler in the water to keep the ice from freezing. And there's yeah. no sauna or anything. It's just, you go into the, to the, um, to this little warm room to change and you go out. And so I go out and I, and I stand next to the hole naked. The girls are on the other side, my wife and this friend. And I just like, okay, so I'm going in. I just go in, <laughs> ah, come back out. I'd put my towel on the ground so that I could like, it's cause the ground's like covered with ice cause people have been coming in and out of the water. So, you know, it's freezing your feet. And so I stand on the towel for a second. Then I go to go inside and my towel is stuck to the ground. So I'm like pulling on it, oh, trying to get it off the ground. And the girls are like, oh, is everything okay over there? And I'm like, oh, you know, and then finally I rip the thing off the ground. I go back in the room, but, and after that, I, I joined the club. So even though, and the wind is blowing, it's like 20 minus 24. It's like blowing that's Celsius for, for people yeah. who are, and, and so, and so, and I was just like, oh my God, I'm, you know, this is so crazy. But I just, I said, I'm going to go start it. So I start going like every other day, you know, two, three times a week or something like that. So, so there was that. And then I learned how to ski and I went to go ski at the, um, like, so my friend, another friend, so-called friend, Yuha, I'll never forgive you. But, yeah. but, but Yuha, Yuha asked me, says, oh, you should go to the Savonjohito, which is this big ski race. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, I can do, how long is it? 42 kilometers. I can do that. I've never skied before. What the hell am I thinking? Yeah. So I get in there. And the guy, uh, the, the, my, he signs me up, they go, we go get my number and there's like thousands of people in the, in the stadium and, and they're, they're cheering on their friends and some of them are skiing big, long line of people. There's like thousands of people participating in this. I think there's like, I think it's like a thousand people or 
1500 people who are participating in the ski race. Yeah. And they see my number and they're like, go to the front, go to the front. I'm like, okay, I'm up the front with all these other folks who look quite ready to ski traditional skiing. Boom. The gun goes off. Like Kirka's there, you know, taking, you know, this great Finnish singer who's Kirka. Yeah. Yeah. Kirka was there with his, and he's, he's actually, he actually like the gun goes off and, I'm starting to go and about 200 meters in, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be so hard. (laughs) And then like all, you know, maybe a kilometer in, like all the kids are passing me up three kilometers in all the grandmas are passing me up. You know, finally we get to this spot where it splits and one sign says 42 kilometers this way. And the other one says 25 kilometers this way. So there's like this retki, you know, regular people's one i'm in like the competition competition yeah and and no one's with me no one's going that direction and uh (laughs) so i'm getting to all the rest stops you know and i'm like okay you can close up now yeah i'm done i'm the last one oh no 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 there'll be others no no i get back in like five hours later i get back stadium's empty except for the two people at the finish line who were like waiting for me to show up right and my yeah. friend my friend is there and they announced my name steve lee lee you know and i'm just like oh i'm gonna kill this guy it was like so hard he had gone home taken a shower read the newspaper picked up the kid taking care of some laundry or something come back and waited for me half an hour you know and I was like, oh, this is, but anyway, so the, this, this ends up in the paper and I'm like third to last in the newspaper. And the guy, one of the guys who was a reporter at the, at the, at the newspaper in Mikkeli notices like that my name is on the list in the ice swimming in the hole in the ice place. And that yeah. my name is on this list of skiing stuff. And he's like, I got to meet this guy. So I got in the newspaper because of it. Nice. And these were like your first years in. Uh, that's my uh, first yeah. years. That's so that's what happened. I mean, it didn't move to Helsinki till the summer of 2000. Yeah. And and um, yeah, my first job there was like working for Wapit. Do you remember Wapit? Uh, yeah, that, that was like with. Uh, was it with Mato Valtonen? Yeah, with Mato Valtonen. Yeah. You some people almost became multimillionaires. Yes. Almost. I, have read, I have read the book. Oh yeah. yeah, well I'm in the book. I actually helped edit the English version of it too. But yeah, I'm I'm in there. You'll see my picture nice. in there and stuff. But it was a fun. I'm gonna take it. Yeah, it was a fun th- fun thing. So how how was it really? Because that was the crazy time of. Uh, it how, was, how was it? It was insane. It was absolutely insane. But but it wasn't like we weren't as crazy as some of the other ones. But it was that time of time when 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 you were in a startup and everybody and and people would it was normal to sleep at the office they had like beds at the office so that you could sleep there because that was and battery cans that would block out the sun you know piled up in the windowsill because people yeah people were drinking battery and staying up all night and it was it was really it was really kind of crazy and i remember going on a um thing with motto and and some of the guys um to london to get financing and and at the time the the money mentality was just totally crazy. We saw 13 investors in in three days, 
Each one yeah. had a two hour pitch. We were just riding in taxis going from place to place. And then what would happen is that they would, you know, they would say, all right, we will put, you know, X millions into this and we expect for you to give us back in three years, we'll sell the company off for whatever, three times our money. You know, we want three times our money back or 10 times our money back in three years. And we were like, oh, okay. You know, and it was, the, it was the push from the investors and a push from all these, all these people that really made it crazy. I mean, it so was, what, what it was, was sorry to interrupt, but what was your product? Like what were, what was the, what so, were you doing? So, so at Wapit, we were making a, um, it was based, it was, is basically the first SMS services of doing things like games and, 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 and things like this. Um, so they were, they, it was on one side, there was at, there was the first internet for your phone. So, so this was WAP. This was on this WAP network. And so um, people had kind of a little bit oversold it. Like you were like, like it was the internet we have now, but, but at the time it was just simple games and stuff. And so, and, and simple services that, that some, you, some you graphics that. or no, not a little bit, but not yeah. really anything to speak of. And, and, and that whole, there was just the, the, if you remember Nokia had this one phone that was this WAP phone that that actually had an internet connection and it was much more about in the information going back and forth i remember some of the games were like you know and it was it was this time when you when they basically had this um it was the conversion of stuff on the web to into SMS format and back and forth. So they called it Connell, which was the name of the technology that everything was based on. And it basically was this, this uh, piece of software that would convert SMS messages into, into web, into internet stuff and internet stuff into SMS messages. And so that was kind of the the core of the business. It was very forward looking, but it was, and, and I think the biggest problem with it was that we grew the company based on these investors just wanting to have cool technology in a company that was big. They didn't care how you were burning money. And there were other companies that were out there that were doing crazy stuff like Riot E, and it was just one big party. Ours at least wasn't one big party, although we did have guitar lessons. And what was interesting was that Mato and myself and and everybody we um, continued the guitar le- guitar lessons after the company was already over, and so uh, kept up with that. So that was pretty fun. So you, what you were selling was uh, this software that uh, brings SMS and um... yeah. We were I'm trying working. to just get a clear idea. Yeah. What were so you? We were you, it, it, you know what? People? You're as confused as everybody else was that was back then. So it was. <laughs> it, this it's it's really pretty funny. But basically, the technology was that how do you make money from SMS at the time? How do you make more money from SMS than just people like sending messages back and forth? So they created games and 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 services of different types that would be run on SMS. And we would sell those to telcos to run that software on their, on their 
systems and provide those services to telcos, so telcos, yeah, to telecommunications companies all over the world. So the the, the telecommunications companies would 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 install this software and we would help them maintain the software and then they would be able to make more revenue from different types of SMS games and 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 it, WAP games. So so there's a big party and you're getting so much money and you're almost multimillionaires but what what happened what went wrong? <laughs> well, the thing is that the thing is that the that 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 the world crashed in 2000 you know, like all the, uh, the whole, uh, the whole financial crisis happened and there was no investment money and we weren't profitable yet. You know, we were, we were, because the models were all, the models were all based on how much revenue. So we took a cut of the revenue that people made through our software. So we, you know, you're basically giving the software away for free and then saying, whenever you make money, we make money. Yeah. So that was the model. And of course, and nobody was making it. Nobody was making money yet because they were had just started installing the software or just started to started to do the stuff. They had still had to market it. They still had to do. But I got a chance to travel all over with Wapit. I went to China. I went to Malaysia. I went all over the Far East um, uh, because you know people people wanted to to do this. I was in I was in um, you know. Thailand, working with different telcos and other people. I was a product manager there, so I was responsible for all the products that they had um, created. I think also one of the problems with Wapit is there were too many products. You know, there wasn't one thing that that um, that they focused on. So, what did you um, come out? What did you learn from that? Wow, I learned so much. Um, uh, one is that you need to make money. Like it, there needs to be real revenue coming in to, to support the business. Um, second is don't do too many things at the same time. Third was that, uh, investors, investors are out to make revenue and don't care about very much else. Yeah. Uh, nowadays they talk a lot about in impact and I do see some investors who are out there saying that, yes, we're, we're we really truly do care about Im impact and we truly do care about the, the people that are in our portfolio. And the, I'm and sorry, can you tell me what impact means in that? Impact meaning mean? that they make a difference in the world. Like, yeah. like, it, that that they're they're doing something sustainable that that your business is actually doing something to affect people's lives socially or yeah. or or um or changing the world in some sort of way doing good for the world in one way or another yeah um, so 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 there are situations in which i see some investors actually folk thinking about that or at least talking about it but in truth, if you're not generating revenue, it's not sustainable. And and I don't I don't think that generating revenue is a bad thing. But I just I you know, we we can't lie to ourselves and think that businesses are not about generating revenue. So yeah. so all the things that you see going on, all the wokeness that you hear about diversity and everything that companies want to have, um I, I look 
it even applies today that whether you're an investor or a company, in the end, you're there to generate revenue. And the question is, uh, how do you use those types of things that uh, like diversity to cur- to create more value? Um, yeah. Ra- and if you approach a company in a way in which they're not just doing it to be nice, individuals can do stuff to be nice, but companies really don't. And and you need to find value in diversity in order for companies to take it seriously. So the value yeah. that companies are seeing today in the unrest and everything that's happening right now, um, that is that is that they're going to lose business, or you know, or they're going to lose customers. Yeah, and and okay, so but, I mean that's just honest to be. They just need to be honest with themselves that that's that's the way they see it. We're going to lose customers if we don't become more diverse. We're going to lose customers if we don't understand those markets better because we need people. You cannot have a company now that 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 you hire people who are the same as you are yeah. and expect to do innovative stuff. You need people who are different from you in order to be innovative. Yeah. Because otherwise, you get in a silo. And you just do the same shit everyone else is doing. Is there lots of talk about diversity in Finland? Yeah, it has really woke a lot of people up. I mean, this is a, I was really impressed with the fact that 3000 plus people came out to, to the, to the, uh, capital Senatentori and, and, and it was amazing to see so many white people with signs that say black lives matter. You know, I'm actually, I get amazed quite regularly in Finland because of this kind of stuff. Um, I was at a party where, where they were, where they were playing like 50 cent or something, you know, all this stuff. And these blonde women are like dancing out there and they like know every word to the song and you're, and everyone is, is, is white except for me. And I'm just like going, wow, if 50 Cent could see this, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's a, it's a really an, an amazing, it, it, I think Finland in general really embraces a lot of the culture. Um, I know people here in Finland who are scholars on soul and, and hip hop music. They've actually studied it and done thesis is on on the on the genre and and you're like why and it's because it's because they're just interested they find so much inspiration in it so these are the things that maybe don't get get talked about in the news so much because they're because there's just so much interest and love of course finland does have its issues i mean even recently um i know an incident where someone got like kicked off a train for for what seems to be um you know sort of a profiling situation so it's not to say that there's not issues here in finland also but but there's a lot of also i'm also very proud of of finland and and how progressive it is in in many cases but i think that i'm maybe a little bit different sometimes too because i uh 
you know, I came here and I swam in the hole in the ice. <laughs> I came here and I learned how to ski. I tried, I think through those things and I did the same thing in Brazil. Um, I didn't swim in the hole in the ice in Brazil, but I tried to do things that the culture, I tried to respect the culture. I tried to learn the language. I write songs about it. I, I, I've really tried to adopt the culture very heavily into my life. And as a result, even though I don't think I can ever be Finnish per se, even though I do have Finnish citizenship now, I think that these things are really important whenever you go to another country to do it their way so that you can show them they, that, that you respect the way they're doing it. And usually, at least here in Finland, what has happened is that people have then been interested in me. So, yeah. so it's a two-way street. Well, I understand because I'm here in America and I've been here for many years and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm every day, constantly I'm foreign. Yeah. People. People might not uh, look at me that I'm from out somewhere outside America, but when I start speaking, they hear the accent. Well, generally people are always nice and they don't comment on it, but I'm aware that there's a certain kind of, I mean, I'm not expressing myself as good as I could be expressing myself in Finnish. So I, in some ways I always feel foreign when I open my mouth, but people are nice. But that's a good thing, you know. That I think that I think that one of the beauties of, like, I don't try to be Finnish. I, I try to be me. I don't like uh, people sometimes make the mistake of saying, "Oh, I don't fit in," or "I don't," I'm, I'm not. I'll never be Finnish, right? I'll never be one of them. And it's like, okay, you know, the spice is that you're not, you know. How boring would that be to be like everybody else? You know, maybe there's a there's a pride and happiness that can be found in just being, um, being who you are, and that's that's kind of what I, um, like. I don't try to be something else. I, I I think I like being different. I like being the one who who looks outside the box. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I it's really funny because I was I was one time when my kids were playing in the play park when they were little. One of my and I was talking to some of the parents there, and the parents were kind of like complaining about all the stuff in Finland that needs to be fixed. Oh, this play park, you know, they should fix all the, you know, all the play equipment. You know, it's gotten old, whatever. And I was like, you guys are complaining, you know, you guys get like eleven months off for 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 maternity leave and the dad can take some of it you guys have the best swimming pools in the world best public facilities i've ever seen you guys have you know um five weeks vacation uh every year by law you guys have you know (laughs) have a baby box that comes full of stuff for your kid when it's born you you know and i just started naming off all the stuff you have the best school system in the world you have everybody getting educated you've got 99% literacy rate you have ev- you have college paid for all the way through to your master's degree and you guys are complaining yeah you know and they were like hmm maybe maybe you're right you know because it's i think it's my job to come in here and say hello You know, but when you have lived abroad, when you when you see it, you know, I'm sure you have the same type of thing. When you live abroad, you 
you get you, you it's easier it's it's easier to understand what happened it, like it's easier to see the differences and i think everybody should live abroad for a little while so they can appreciate whatever it is they have yeah because there's good things in finland and some good yeah. things in america exactly i mean there's a unique. ton of stuff that 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 admittedly um sometimes i i miss not lately though but yeah actually that's a good <laughs> good that you started to talk about it like um wh- wh- how do you feel about america like what do you miss and what do you think about what's going on now i, I think it's amazing what's going on in america i'm going to try to take a quite a positive spin on it i i um i think that this is the moment in which things are really changing and i think that there's been a lot of things that have pushed us to this point And I'm sorry that people have had to die because of it. It's a shame and a tragedy. But I think that the combination of a president who 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 who, who stokes a lot of um, emotion in people, who doesn't back down from 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 things that he's saying. I think that the the systematic racism um, that I have also experienced there, um, amazingly, it's really funny because I don't feel as much pressure for a lot of reasons living in Finland than I do being judged in the US because of the color of my skin. Um, Can you the, tell me a little bit more about that? Because I... I don't have that experience. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, so I was in the States a few, not too long ago. And, um, and I was visiting with, with my family there and we were driving across Indiana and my, my, um, my, my, I, I, you know, my wife, my stepkids are blonde and, And I was, we went to, we pulled into a, a, um, a rest stop near South Bend and I, and I was, and, and my wife went to the, to the, uh, uh, my wife went over to the bathroom and I was walking out with the kids, a, a, a state patrol car was coming in, was going to go get gas, quickly looks over, sees me, turns as I'm walking out with the kids and start to slowly drive past and talk on the radio, calling in me. And then we'll drive past again, really, really slow watching as the kids get in the car. Then, then, then my wife shows up and then everything's fine. But it's just like, it's just like, I was a, I was a suspect because I was with my stepkids and This is and and I remember times in the states when I was growing up that I thought that 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 I would walk past someone in town or someone sitting in their car and they would lock the doors or you know so there's this like unconscious bias that is going on all the time because people have been taught to be afraid of people who don't who look like me and Anyone who knows me doesn't doesn't think that. And 
and and that's hard to come to terms with. Like I, you spend. I think of all the times when I was turned down, finding out later on down the down the line. I actually grew up in school thinking I was ugly because I was one of the only black kids in my school, and I would ask kid, girls out on dates and other stuff, and they wouldn't be able to go. Come to find out later on down the line, many years later. I happened to talk to some of them and they said, oh yeah, I would have dated you in a second, but my parents would have never let me. My dad would have never let me. And so, so, so that's, that's what you, you're constantly. So, so I'm, I just, I guess I have to go back to the way that my family kind of, kind of like did things. Um, there was a lot of people out there protesting during the sixties and, and during the fifties and, and other, and other areas, of course, trying not just protesting, but trying to make their lives better. But, um, I've, I've talked to my family and what they would do, what their way was, wasn't to go out and protest. Their way was to educate themselves and to be like 10 times better than everyone else. There's all this pressure in my family to be like better at school or, or, or to, you know, cause, because they knew, that if you wanted to be an executive or if you wanted to be a doctor, or if you wanted to be in a, in a position of high prestige at the time, that you had to be better than everyone. You had to be that much better than everyone else and you had to be keeping your head low. So that's what I learned how to do. I didn't know. I don't know why. It's just amazing. And, and actually, when the protests and everything started happening, because I grew up in a neighborhood and, and, and around people and even now today, I live in a society which most of the people don't look like me. Um, I, before the protests and before all this was going on, I don't think that I really was conscious of the idea that I, that, that my, that, that I, that I even had my own unconscious bias to work through, you know, I've been learning so much from all these podcasts and everything about where, about slavery that have come out recently and all these different things like 1619 from the New York times and, 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 and code switch other popular out there that have been talking about race. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's why I felt that way. Oh, there's a lot of other people who felt that way because I wasn't growing up in a neighborhood where I was around a lot of other black people. I don't think that I really realized myself that, um, yeah, I don't think I really realized myself that I was that I wasn't alone. And and this time in history has shown that I am not alone and I felt really good about that, but I also came to a lot of understandings myself and I have had to do a lot of research myself because not that they don't teach you this stuff in school about what really happened about the race riots in Tulsa in, or, or not even the, 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 you know, basic, you know, extermination of people in, in, in the, in the, in the history that went on down there. They didn't talk about, you know, slavery in depth. They didn't talk about the, the background of how police were actually, the whole police force was actually originally a force to keep slaves in line. You know, they don't talk about all this stuff. And I've learned all that in like months because now everybody's awake. And it's been so beautiful to see everybody in 
the U.S., so many people in the U.S. of so many different colors that half the people coming out for the Juneteenth celebrations were, were white, that, 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 that you hear people talk about the fact that the whole George Floyd thing, they just couldn't stand it anymore. The, the awakening that has taken place has been so inspiring. I, I, I think that it's really special. And, I, and the fact that people around the world are participating with that too, it's it's amazing, and I think that I think that real change can take place. I, I just hope we can keep it going. Um, so that's that's I've been inspired by by everything that's going on and everything that I've heard. Even though it's hard pill to swallow, even though people have gotten hurt, even though people have gotten killed, um, I'm trying to really I really I really think it's a positive change, and I'm very proud uh of of my american heritage because of the fact that people are 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 doing something and it's going to yeah. take everybody to do it it's going to take it's not going to take just black people which i think they've been alone doing it all along i think that now and now we have teammates <laughs> and i think that that's what's great about it yeah i'm feeling the same way too that the What's going on now, it feels special, and I feel that there's a change, especially with how diverse the groups in the protests have been. And lots and lots of young people, at least here in L.A., like almost like the next generation of people. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. But I also see people of, of, of you know, sort of a background. I don't think that people really, on. I don't think that it hit home. I heard one lady say that, you know, They saw that it was so egregious, the the killing of George Floyd, that they said this is so wrong. We can't we can't let this happen. And then, and then they started seeing it everywhere, right? They were their eyes were opened. Yeah, and there has been incidents like that after that. Yeah, within just a few weeks. Exactly. And, and that helps, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's a terrible consequence, but it, it enforces it that, that something needs to be done. So, so I had this friend, Laura Smith, who, who also lives here in Finland, who, um, was talking about how you'd make change to this happen. How do you do this in a concrete way? And the very first way to do it is that, and, and to do things differently, isn't, you know, going off and asking for reparations and all these other sorts of things and taking action right away, but it's actually listening. Like people need to hear from somebody that they know, they need to widen their circles and they, and they need to listen and show truly show that they are listening. And then once they've listened, They need to give those people the space as part of that to support their the the opportunity for for everybody to be heard, and then I think we can start moving on to actually taking action. But I think the first part is listening. I was very inspired by um, by the NFL, um, uh, uh, the the commissioner of the NFL, who who came out and 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 said we were wrong to to not support the kneeling um this is a big problem it needs to be fixed i've been i've been um inspired by places like nascar and and other people who have come out um 
at this time. And I think what's actually pretty cool is that because everyone else is doing it, it makes it okay to come out and say, okay, we were wrong. Everybody can now come out in a very, the sooner they do it, the better to say, okay, we were wrong. Now let's try and make something happen. We're ready to listen. And I think that that's a wonderful step in the right direction. Yeah. I think you answered this next question already, but um, I'm curious, what kind of actions would you hope to see after this listening? Well, the, 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 you know, the first step is to listen. The second is to support. Um, the, the next is to do something really um, to create an action in which, uh, I mean, the goal is not to like make, to, to make people pay for what has happened in the past. We need to just, I think people of color and people who are also, um, uh, you know, women and, and, and other people who, who, who are, who, who have been disenfranchised, um, no matter what, just simply want equality. And so we need measurable ways and inspiring ways that are based on the individual case to bring that equality out. Um, I was listening to a thing about doctors and, and, um, one thing that they noticed by using data in one hospital was that, um, white males were provided a certain drug for one disease, you know, five times more than, than black people with the same disease. And this unconscious bias can, you know, we can use things like technology to help bring it to our face and not be afraid of it. And I would like to see us just put in place ways that remind us of, of these things for us to get comfortable knowing them. And then that allows us to take action. Cause I don't think people are not taking action because they're bad people more because they're either afraid and they just need to get used to things or they just are completely unaware because of the environment that they grew up in. I heck, I I haven't known of so much of the stuff that's coming out now. And, and as a person of color, you'd think I'd know it, but I didn't. I don't I don't I don't know this stuff because it wasn't taught to me. People even of my gener of my parents' generation, they tried to hide it. They tried to make it so that it would, you know, they tried to tell the good story and whatever or or not say anything at all. No, that's not that doesn't work. We, we need to be faced with the stuff. We need to, to regularly be faced with our unconscious bias. We need to see those differences. We need to actually, some people say this words like, oh, you know, I don't see color. No, we want everybody to see color. We just want everybody to treat it equally. We just want people to love the love colors, you know, rainbows, rainbows are beautiful, you know? <laughs> so, so we should be, we should all be kind of, having having a love of the rainbow that we have as a society and i hope that people um find ways consistently and constantly for the rest of their lives find ways of putting themselves in situations in which their unconscious bias are exposed and they can then do something about it that sounds great and i like I like that. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for being guest and have a great day at work. Thank you very much. It was really great. 
and that was Stephen Lee. If you want to check uh, our film, not with Stephen, but uh, with other people, uh, it's called Someone Somewhere, and it's at Elisa Vihde in Finland. You can rent it from there online. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.